Okay, Matthew chapter 9, and we're beginning from verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest who sent out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the apostles were these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go gather to the lost but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers cast out demons you received without paying give without pay acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts no bag for your journey nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 10. And I'll start reading from verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is God's word to us this morning. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness and kindness to us. You did not leave us in darkness under your judgment. You sent your Son as a light into the world. You have by your grace drawn us to him. And we are ever thankful that you've opened our hearts to receive the gospel message. 
Father, we give thanks, particularly in the past, for those who have preached the gospel for us. So we pray that you'd help us here to think about how we might not keep this gospel to ourselves, but continue sharing it on. Bless us as we think about what it means to be a a church that plants other churches. Bless us as we think about what it means today to be ascending church. Help me, Father, speak clearly from this. Help us to receive this. Help our minds to be sharp, our hearts to be open, and our hands to be ready to respond. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let me ask you, do you understand the times that we are presently living in? Do you understand and how all the stress and the anxiety of our world at this current time is telling us about the world that we presently live in? Jane Caro, Caro, Jane Caro, there we go. There we go. Uh, she's an Australian novelist, author, commentator, regularly appears on TV, uh, quite an outspoken opinionist as well. On August 26th of this year, she penned an opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald asking the question, are we in the process of giving birth to a whole new world? See, the last decade has been quite an upheaval in many ways, in politics, in global affairs, in various political and social movements around the world. A lot of it leaving us feeling like this world is in turmoil. We are surrounded by stress and anxiety. But in Caro's opinion, this stress and anxiety that we're experiencing gives us big hope. Using the analogy of giving birth, she wonders, are we in the process of giving birth to a whole new world? Hopefully a fairer, less hierarchical world where we live in greater harmony with one another and with the natural environment. See, as an atheist and social progressive, Caro sees a a brighter future coming. We just need more people who are willing to make changes in our society to bring about the transition to her romantic picture of the world to come. That's Jane Caro's opinion. But I think the opinion of Jesus Christ is actually more realistic. You see, if Jane Caro is right, then what this world needs is more politicians, and more social activists. But if Jesus is right, then what this world needs is more gospel workers and gospel ministry. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned his disciples, times of stress, anxiety, of wars and rumors of wars, these are not the signs of the end end per se, these are as Jane Caro providentially pointed out, birth pains of a future to come. But it's the world of his kingdom coming, not a secular utopia, but of Jesus reigning as king. And so as we'll tease out in a moment, Jesus presently saw a ripe harvest of people ready to be brought in, people in need of hearing the gospel, his people who would respond to the gospel if they heard it. And so the present need was for more gospel workers and gospel ministry. That's how Jesus saw the time that he was living in. So let me ask us again, how do you understand the times that we are living in? Well, more importantly, do you understand the times that we live in the same way that Jesus sees these things? 
Today we're talking about church planting and I start with this opening context question about the time we live in because if we understand them properly, then we will have already started today's thinking on the right foot. But in some ways, understanding the time and actually living it out are two different things as well, aren't they? So we can know that this time requires more gospel workers, but we actually live as though there is more time. We actually live for ourselves more than for the gospel work. The way that Jesus sees the world calls for more gospel ministry, and so we must be on with that. Now, in some ways, I could wrap up in prayer right now and just finish there. Let's get out there and do the work. But let's begin seeing things Jesus as Jesus sees them. Now, we're going to be thinking about church planting, and in particular today about what it means for SLE Church to be the sending church. And before I get on to point one on the outline, I want to note that I'm starting with a bunch of assumptions here and understanding of what church is. Uh, that question in and of itself, what is church, could take up a whole sermon series. And in fact, we've done that a number of times. Uh, we've actually talked through this issue of what church is. Church is the gathering of God's people who use their gifts to love and serve each other in order to build each other up as disciples of Jesus. Now, that definition is, requires a whole lot of New Testament teaching behind it. And so I want to highlight in particular that we go back, if you are asking the question, what is a church, to go back through some of our sermons that we've preached over the last few years, these four in particular. Uh, the Welcoming Church, which we preached primarily right at the start of the pandemic. Uh, our Ephesian series that we did a little, bit for, be, a little bit before, which we looked at our identity in Jesus. Our two Corinthians series, Authentic Gospel Ministry, was big uh, and I think gave us good grounding to think through what is proper and true gospel ministry. Uh, and then there's our Mission, Values and Vision series that we revisited uh, towards the beginning of last year. Those four series, I think, lay out very clearly what church is and how we play our part in it. Okay, so I'm building on top of that. I won't be uh, teasing that out too much. What is a church? Today, I'm really wanting to ask the question again onto the topic of church planting. And I'm going to address it in two questions. Uh, first, in this first point, I want to ask a question. I want to define what is a church plant. And then I want to ask another question, which I know some people have asked, which is how is it different to just starting a, a different service? Right? We've got two services here at Esley Church. How is a church plant different to, say, starting a, a third service? So let's start with the definition then. What is a church plant? Put simply, a church plant is starting a new church from an existing church or churches in partnership. Uh, the idea traditionally has been that uh, of having a church grow to a particular size, and then you take out a small slice of that population and you move them somewhere else and they begin a new church. Uh, the basic hope, of course, is that this new slice would grow as they welcome newcomers and non-believers to know and embrace Jesus as their king. Now, church plants can happen in one of two ways, traumatically or intentionally. And let's be honest, much of our church's history is filled with traumatic church plants. Disagreements, splits, infighting factions. Some people here have PTSD from that. All of this trauma leading to breakaway churches planted across Brisbane. From my understanding, 
every Chinese church in Brisbane is connected to our church, Chinese Christian Church of Brisbane, in some way, shape, or form, but most often not in good ways. Traumatic church planting is generally not good. Not good for the churches involved and generally not good for our gospel witness. What we want to focus on today is intentional church planting, where we actively plan for a movement to happen, where we prayerfully consider an area and carefully choose who to go to that plant and who to stay in the home church. Years ago, we actually did seek to do this. Uh, In 2009, 517 Church was an intentional plant in the evening here at St. Lucia. Uh, It was called 517 Church because it was built on 2 Corinthians 517. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. Right? Uh, it was uh, over the years it, it grew to the point as well. So basically, what happened is that uh, in 2009, the pastor then took out about, I think, 25 people from the morning service and went to plan, and the church started at 5 17 p.m. on the dot. Uh, over the years, it grew to the point that most of the members who actually attended that church before it closed were not familiar to SLE church members in the morning. And I think that was great. It meant that the church grew through evangelism and connecting with others who were not a part of our circles. That's essentially what a church plant is, starting a new church from an existing church. But on to our second question, I guess, how is it different then to just another service? Okay, so the first and obvious difference is obviously the location and time. Generally, church plants happen further away. The plant that we're thinking about is around 15 minutes away in the centenary suburb southwest of us. Uh, When 517 Church was planted, it was an evening time slot. So location and time is is basically the first key difference. Uh, But another key difference is that having another service is simply about multiplying what we already have and then asking people to come to us. A church plant is about sending people, a group of people, to another location which is closer for those communities to gather in. So instead of pulling people from further and further away, we send a church to a new location that makes it easier for people to go into and better for that new church to have its presence in that community. But why plant a church? Why? Why are we going through so much effort to create a new church somewhere else? Aren't there enough churches already? If you Google churches near Mount Omni, there's dots everywhere. Why are we sticking another one there? Years ago, in our family of churches, we, when we had a traumatic split, our Southside congregation was forced out of their property in Rochdale and had to move very quickly somewhere else. They were able to meet together in the school hall of Sunnybank State High School and eventually bought the warehouse in Cooper's Plains. And when they moved to Sunnybank State High School, one of the pastors at a bigger church down the road said in a meeting, and I know this because I have a friend who was at that meeting, said, this pastor said, why are they going to the state high school? There are enough churches around here. Or are there enough? Let's take a look at the words of Jesus again in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. 
And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, here at this time, Jesus, in Jesus' ministry, he saw this great need. His primary ministry was to proclaim his kingdom and he healed people to confirm his authority and give power to that preaching. But notice that Jesus wasn't enough. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying something heretical. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't all-powerful and not all-able, but in his earthly ministry, he was one man looking at the crowds and crowds and crowds of people who are asking for help. His heart deeply moved. In verse 36, he looks on them with compassion. He is drawn to their suffering and their needs. I wonder if some here today realize that this is actually how Jesus looks at you. He sees you with this sort of compassion. If you're here today, and if you don't know if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, this is an invitation to you to come to know the one who has profound compassion towards you, who knows your suffering and your needs, who knows your stresses and anxieties, who knows what makes you weary and who invites you to come to him and find rest to know him as your good shepherd. We're talking about church planting today, but consider this invitation to come and join the family of God, to join it through trusting and following Jesus, to the Jesus who knows you and loves you and wants to help. Just like the crowd here, harassed and helpless, like, a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd, they were profoundly needy. They were in need of physical and spiritual help. But more importantly, that they needed that spiritual help of reconciliation to God. They knew that Jesus could help them, but Jesus knew they need, that more needed to be done. And so he turns to his disciples. And here you'd expect some sort of particular instruction or training to happen. The crowd needs a shepherd. God promised before in the past that he would raise up shepherds for his people, his flock. And so as Jesus sees the need, you'd expect him to start delegating roles, run a training course to train up shepherds to care for these people. But what he actually does is counterintuitive. I get the feeling that most of us are so familiar with this passage, so used to it, that We glossed over how strange what the instruction is. Jesus looked out at the crowd. He sees that they are like a harvest, ready to be taken in, ready to be gathered in. But there's a problem. There's not enough laborers to get out there and bring in the harvest. And he turns to 12 people whom he could possibly train up as harvesters And what does he do? Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. 
Jesus sees the problem. The first thing he tells his disciples to do is to pray. That's just weird. When action is needed, get out there, Jesus. Get out to the work. But to pray here is really counterintuitive. It's subversive. To pray is the first and most important work that the followers of Jesus must do. They must come to the Lord before the Lord of the harvest because he is the sovereign one, not his followers. Many times we're reminded that the kingdom of God belongs to God, not us. And so we must pray first as a reminder that God is the one who will build his kingdom. It will not be by our effort alone. To pray is also a command here. To pray this way is to, to not pray this way is to misunderstand the times that we live in. To not pray this way is disobedience to Jesus. So let me ask, when was the last time you prayed for God to raise up more laborers? Friends, do our our lack of prayers on this maybe reveal that we totally do not understand the times that we live in? Is our lack of prayer here maybe a subtle act of disobedience? What should we pray for? In some ways, it's simple. We pray for more laborers to go into the harvest. We pray that God would raise up more people to head out into this harvest field. But as we pray, you'll notice, or you should notice, that it becomes a lot more complicated than that. Because we can't just ask for outsiders to go. We must necessarily ask that God might raise us up for the work. We pray that God might change our worldly ambitions to head then into ministry ourselves. We pray that our children would be raised up for the work. This is not a prayer that we can pray in comfort. It is a prayer that pushes us out of our comfort zone to follow where the Lord of the harvest would lead us. This is a big challenge to ask that God wouldn't just give our kids a good life and that they would graduate and remain healthy, but that God might take them and sacrifice them for his kingdom, that we might be willing to do that. How do we know that this is what we're called to do? This is, how do we know that this is the challenge? Well, because of what happens next in the passage. Uh, Jesus goes on to call 12 disciples. He calls on to, to his disciples to pray for more laborers. And then verses, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, you'll notice that Jesus calls his 12 disciples. He shares with them his authority in ministry, the authority to heal and cast out demons, the things that Jesus was doing. And then verse 5 to 15, he then sends them on a short-term mission trip with some very particular and uncomfortable limitations. And in this short-term mission, we see some particular things for Jesus' 12 disciples then and there, but we'll also see some things that Jesus intends for every generation as well. So there are particular things, and then there are general things. Let's start with the particular. Five things that are particular to this mission. First, Jesus sends them to Jews only. 
but not Gentiles. This was early in Jesus' ministry, and so his ministry was to the Jews as a priority. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, as the Jews kept rejecting Jesus, more and more Gentiles are actually encountered. And then finally, we see Jesus' great commission right at the very end of the Gospel, extending to the ends of the earth. But here, for now, it was Jews only. Second, their primary job was to prepare the way for Jesus. Verse 7, they were to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a way of preparing these towns for the coming of Jesus uh, to come and preach soon enough. Third, this message came with signs in verse 8 to prepare these towns for Jesus. These, These signs included healing the sick and casting out of demons. Number four, This was not a fundraising event. Verse 9, they were to not collect any gold or silver. The gospel has never been and must never come with a charge. It has and must always be freely given. Number five, this was a short-term mission trip. Verse 10 to 14, you can see the disciples traveled lightly. They're not even allowed to bring an overnight bag. Rather, they had to rely on the hospitality of those who received them. But as we step back, we can then see some general things that are true of mission in general, right? That message, the message is basically the same. The kingdom of God is at hand. Not in the same direct immediate sense that Jesus is physically there going to visit them, but Jesus has died, has been raised to life, and will one day return. That day keeps getting closer and closer, and so that drives us to preach the gospel urgently. The message is the same, and the authority is from the same person. Disciples are not necessarily called to supernaturally heal and cast out demons, but the authority of our preaching is also from Jesus himself. And he is promised in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew to always be with his disciples to empower them on this mission. So the message is basically the same. The authority is from the same person. And what drives us on is also the impending day of judgment. In verse 15, notice that Jesus reminds his disciples that those who reject them will have it worse compared to other sinful nations in the past. Judgment is the great equalizer. And that day, and come, and that day comes that day's coming fuels us on in our mission as well. See, the Lord of the harvest raises up harvesters who are to be on mission for him, preaching and evangelizing under his authority and empowerment, preaching and evangelizing not to make money, but compelled by wanting to make Jesus known and by the coming judgment. So how will people hear this gospel? How will they be reconciled to God and be saved from judgment? How will they come to know and understand? The answer to that set of questions comes in Romans 10. Someone needs to be sent. Read me, read, flip over to Romans 10 and read with me again. Romans 10 from verse 14. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There is some wonderful straightforward logic in this passage. People can't believe the gospel if they don't hear it. 
people can't hear it if the gospel, the gospel of someone isn't there to teach and preach. But notice verse 15. Notice in verse 15, how is someone going to preach unless they are sent? Focus in on that word, sent. We want people to come here to St. Lucia, yes, but we must also go to these other places. This is partly why we can't just start a third service for SLE Church. Who here remembers that we tried to start a third service back in 2017? Right? Only a small handful. Let me briefly explain to you how that crashed and burned. Right? So space was an issue back in 2017. It's been a constant issue that we've been wrestling with. The pandemic kind of put a, a pause on things for a couple of years, but now we're back again facing the constant space issues. And so we toyed with the idea of starting a third service, like a 2 p.m. service. It failed hard. Everyone saw the need to do something. Everyone agreed that we need to do something about our space issues, but hardly anyone was willing to join the service. Uh, you know, an afternoon and evening time slot as well is actually really hard here in Brisbane. You know, you go down to the shops in St. Lucia and, and Hawk and Drive, and it's not pumping at 2 p.m. Things are beginning to wind down. This whole place here feels like it's resting and relaxing by the afternoon. It's really hard to then wind up the energy for church. So Ben and I learned a lot from that failure. And one of the big lessons was to think less about stopgap measures and more about the mission of God. A third service would be primarily serving our space needs. It was a stopgap measure. A church plant serves bigger gospel and missional needs. There are nearly 40,000 people living in the western suburbs. Among that 40,000 people, there are only a few small churches that do preach the gospel. I know of one, maybe two, maybe but all this to say there is a massive need for a gospel-centered church in the western suburbs. How are those 40,000 people going to hear the gospel if someone is not sent to them? We cannot be a church which just simply ask people to come to us. The gospel compels us to keep going out and keep sending people. This is our chance to multiply God's work by multiplying God's churches. And this leads to our third point and big question for today. Who should plant? Who should go and join the church plant? So if we're convinced that the harvest needs more workers, if our city needs more churches, then who should be sent? I'm going to break this final point down into a number of sub-points. Uh, first, I'm going to give the Ten Commandments. Uh, five reasons why you should go and five reasons why you should not go to the plant. Ten reasons both ways. Second, I want to positively, positively talk about why maybe you should consider staying at SLE Church and helping with the sending process. And then finally, I'll finish up with where to for now. So let's start with the, five, uh, with the principles for why you should go. Five reasons of why you should go to the plant. One of the first and most obvious reasons to join the church plant is because you live nearby. Say within a 15 to 20 minute drive. The further away you live, the harder it will be to attend. And conversely, the easier it will be to excuse yourself. 
I know of some people who are greatly committed to coming here to SLE Church and will drive over 30 minutes to get here. But the further away you live, the harder it will be to join ministries and fellowship groups. And the harder it will be to minister to those who are in the same community together. So one of the reasons why we're planting in the western suburbs alongside Christ Community Church and St. Lucia Bible Church, two partnering churches with us, is because we have a number, across these three churches, we have a number of people who live in those western suburbs but leave those western suburbs in order to church elsewhere. This is particularly true of Christ Community Church. So having a church in the local area will help these families and members their mission, it will help their mission to their local communities. Another reason to join the plant is if you just have church, if you have contacts in those areas. Your children attend those schools in the suburbs. You have friends and family there. In keeping with this, there may be some of us here who are keen to settle into that area, uh, thinking of eventually, eventually where you want to live, so thinking of singles and couples. Some of us may even consider selling and moving into the area for the sake of the kingdom. You see, it's really easy for us to think about moving our families and our homes to the other side of the city because we want to get closer to the best schools for our children. That's a relatively easy thought process. But would we do the same so that we could be closer to the church plant and help build it up there and minister to it there? Another reason you might consider moving is because you're just really keen to help. Right? Perhaps you're an evangelist and keen to share the gospel into that area. Or perhaps you're not so much geared towards sharing the gospel with everyone, but you are keen to be a stable member of the church to help it financially. Right? The church plant doesn't, isn't meant to be a plant full of just missionaries. It is, but it will also need good, stable members and parts of that community to help grow it. The church will be a place with a heart for mission, local and global. And so it will need practical help week in and week out. People keen to get up early to help with the sound system and set up the church. This is, they're not going into a purpose-built church building that they own. They're going to be most likely renting a school hall. There won't be a building ready to move into, so the plant will need helpers to support the setup and pack up each week. So yeah, five reasons that you might consider going to the plant. You want to, you live in the area, you have contacts in the area, uh, you want to, thinking about moving or settling into the area, uh, you're keen to really help out as well. Is that five? One, two, three, four, it's four. One, two, there's meant to be five. I'll come back to me for the fifth. Okay, cautions, cautions. Let me give five cautions, five reasons why you shouldn't join the church plant. Don't go to the plant if you value comfort. A church plant is not a place for those who do not want to risk change. A church plant is generally, in the first few years, particularly a place of high energy and high input and activity. So do not go if you value comfort. This is not a place for the Sunday Christian. The Sunday Christian who just simply attends church but doesn't join in any fellowship or they just want to come for Sunday morning for the boost of their faith. This plant will be a community of disciples on mission together. Do not go 
simply because all your friends are going. If you're going to just for friendships, then you may actually be a hindrance to the mission. The plant will be outward focused, not inward focused. Do not go if you're running away from a problem here at Esley Church. If there's a difficult relationship at Esley Church, which would just make it easier to go to the church plant, or you have an issue with the present leadership, going to a new church doesn't actually solve that issue. You may actually inevitably, inevitably bring that same issue into the new church. If you do want to go, make sure that there is clarity of commitment. Visiting the church is fine. I hope to visit the church at some point. But what we don't want to see is we don't want to see people hopping between both churches. Church is about engaging with the community that you choose to be with. Church hopping is about choosing what you want to get out of the services. So if you are going to go, make sure you commit. If you want to visit, that's fine. But don't hop between the two. Don't go to the plant if you think that because it'll be smaller, a smaller church, you will therefore know everyone and Ben's pastoral care of you will be more personal and intimate. All things being equal and with an outward focus, the church will not be small for long. It will grow. And that will change the relationships you have with people at church. Small does not mean that every need and every age and stage of life can be catered for. Small means all hands on deck. Every person needs to be serving. No one can afford to be a passenger in a small church. There are definitely five reasons there of why you should consider not going uh, to the church. If you value comfort because your friends are all going, it's a bit of peer pressure. If you're trying to run away from something difficult, if you want to just hop between both churches or if you think that because it's a small church, that's going to be the place for you. Let me then talk positively about maybe why you want to consider staying at the Sending Church. Planting a church is a big sacrifice for those who are going. But it is also, it is also a very big sacrifice for the Sending Church. Relationships will change and more people will need to be trained up and serve in ministries that are left vacant by those going. So one of the big reasons why you should consider staying at Esley Church and helping to be the sending church is because there are big needs here. Our kids and our youth ministry is set to grow and explode over the next five years. Our current kids' church is packed with kids, which means that they will grow up and enter the youth group, and then from the youth group, they'll be entering into church from there. So we need lots of people to be trained up as kids' church teachers and teens' group leaders. The church plant often and rightly has a lot of attention and uh, it's, there's a lot of exciting possibilities of the ministries to be involved with over there. And on this, I want to highlight too that there are also actually exciting ministry opportunities here as well. Right? So one, let me point out one of the biggest ministry opportunities here at Esley Church, newcomers. Welcome to the newcomers who are here today. Let me talk about you without talking to you for a moment. Since the start of the pandemic... Uh, we have been able to record the names and contacts of everyone who's come through our church. 
so because we had to do use Eventbrite to, for, to register people for our services, and we've continued it on to keep one, a track of our numbers, but also a track of our capacity issues. Like if 160 people want to come to the first service, we don't physically have the space for that. Right, so we'd have to work out something else. Um, so we uh, have asking, still asking people to register. Now, in asking people to register, what we've been able to do is actually able to capture the details and the names of those who visit us for the first time, newcomers. The details of that, of those, those details get put into a spreadsheet, only seen by a few people, and each new line represents some person or family that has attended and registered for the first time. As of last week, that newcomer spreadsheet ticked over 850 entries. 850. That's a lot of new people to connect with and engage with. And that's just the last two years. There's an exciting ministry opportunity that you can look forward to even as the plant moves forward. There are constantly newcomers coming here among us. Another exciting and incredibly challenging thing is that if you, if you stay... You can help us work out what we can do with the space issues here. The plant is going to temporarily relieve our space issues here at church. 40, maybe 50 people going is a sizable dent, but that will be temporary. So we'll need lots of prayer and heads to work out what to do with that. And let's be honest. For those who stayed, there will be a time of mourning and grief as well. A time where we'll have to say farewell to friendships that we've built up over years. Where I will have to say goodbye to people whom I've known since birth, have baptized, maybe even have married. I'll have to send them off well. A whole bunch of us will do that in some way, shape, or form. The first few years, oh, sorry, the first few weeks of that might be okay. But then afterwards, as we just keep noticing that those people are gone, it will hurt. And as I touched on last week, that will be like a false summit. It'll be a, the, the false summit for those who went here. It's the summit that for mountain climbers, you know, you, reach, you think you've reached the peak only to find out that you're not actually even close. You reached a false summit. And it can leave you feeling defeated and demoralized. The church plant is a potential false summit for us. Sure, we've planted, but the home church may end up feeling defeated and demoralized. We, we got there, but what now? We'll be so focused on what we've lost that we may forget that there is a lot of great kingdom work ahead. That's the warning for us who stay. Some will need to pick up the slack. Some of us may, to, may need to get out of ministry retirement and start actively serving again. Those are some big challenges and reasons why you might want to stay and help be part of that sending group. So where to for now? Where to for now? Let's conclude this uh, sermon. A small handful of us have already decided that we will join the plant and that's fantastic and encouraging. And if you have decided, you should speak to Ben as soon as possible if you haven't spoken to him already. Some people are still deciding which church they want to commit to. And remember, it is a commitment, especially for a plant. I think it'll be good, it'll be really good to avoid the try before you buy mentality. Uh, that can be really discouraging for the plant if you try, then actually realize you don't want to be there. But as you consider which church to attend, also consider the ministries you are presently involved in. 
Uh, if you go, how much impact would that have? Would it require training up someone else to fill your place? If, 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 you, if, it, if you so, have you found someone to train up? What, what processes have you put in place for leadership handover? The coming months are going to be filled with all sorts of uncertainty for a lot of us. Right? It will be a time of prayer, a time of consideration about our lives and our ministries. And to be honest, there will be issues. There will be bumps and mistakes along the way for both the sending church and the sent church. I think that's something we'll have to live with and work through together. We're not experts at this. This is, in some ways, the first time we as Esley Church have planted in this way. And so we pray, for our, we pray for patience and grace as we work our way through these plans. One final consideration at the end is the financial cost of the plant. Uh, in the short term, we'll see an increase in our church budget. Uh, ben covered this a few weeks ago. So let's rise to the challenge today. Let's not wait for next year to up our giving. Let's see if we can consider giving more today. Consider our giving and consider more if you can. When the plant begins, it actually may have the reverse impact on Esley Church's budget, a reduction as Ben is actually taken off the books. And so we'll have to see what happens with this as it comes together. But let me conclude with this final challenge to remember the times that we live in. Because remember, if we understand the times that we live in, the moment that we live in, that should lead us to gospel a gospel-centered response. If you didn't know, I was born and grew up in Adelaide, South Australia. I grew up there for nine years. When I turned nine, my parents made a very big decision that profoundly impacted our friends and our family. They decided to uproot their lives from Adelaide and move me and my younger brother to Brisbane. And they did this because my brother and I had asthma and they wanted their boys away from the cold of Adelaide to a more humid place where it would help cure it and actually did. They saw the moment that they were living in. They saw the goal that they wanted, and they made a big move and sacrificed big to achieve it. Now, if my parents could do that for the love of their children, then surely the love of God and the gospel should compel us as much. The church plant will be a challenge for those going and a big sacrifice for those staying. And it will be hard on our relationships and hard work in our service, but remember the times we live in. The biggest need in our world at the moment is for more gospel workers and more gospel ministry to be grown in Brisbane and across the world. So let us not only pray for the Lord of Harvest to raise up more laborers, let us pray and put up our hands for that labor, both in the plant and in the sending church. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of the harvest. So we pray that you would raise up more people for the bounty that is before us and before you. We know that when we preach the gospel, your people whom you have destined from before time will respond. That guarantees our evangelism, that fuels us to share the gospel more and more. So Father, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd help us. Help us to be those laborers that we are praying for. As we consider the plant, as we consider us as ascending church, we pray that you would help us to weigh up all these things and work out how we might best help in both the sending church and the plant. Help none of us here be passengers along the way. Help us to serve you in your kingdom for 
we and help us to recognize this proper time that we live in. For we ask this for the growth of your kingdom, the growth of, in the number of your disciples, and in, in your precious name we pray. Amen.